0: listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. If you'd like to learn more about CBC, check out our website at cbcofsavannah.org. And now this week's sermon from the series Identity, a study on the book of Ephesians. sung of him being our high king, uh, that we will rest in his presence, so we sung Psalm 91, um, as we worship our most high God, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies, um, our mighty warrior. And we don't think of you that way often. Often we think of you our buddy or ha- hanging out, our bud, or friend. But you are the most high God. You are the king of the universe. You are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And Lord, may your people come with a holy fear and reverence towards you. And as we approach your word in the same way, not that it would just be another sermon that we just take notes and leave in our Bible, that your word would go forth in a mighty way by your spirit through a broken man, just an empty man, me. But yet your your spirit filling me and empowering me to teach your scripture in a way that, that your church, Lord Jesus, your church, not mine, that your church would be encouraged and built up and that Jesus, your name would be glorified. That's our prayer. I can't do it. We can't do it, but you can through us. And so I pray you would. And in my weakness, there would be great strength, Lord. For your name's sake, I pray. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. And if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians. If you don't, there should be a brand new one in front of you. You can take it home with you if you want, right under the seat. And uh, we're going to be in Ephesians. If you don't know where that is, it's all right. Just turn to the table of contents. Find it. It's one of the last in the last kind of two-thirds of the Bible. little kind of three- or four-page book. We've been in it for a couple of weeks, we'll be in it for a couple more. Against my better judgment this week, I reactivated my Facebook account. Now, if you ask me to join Farmville, I promise you we will excommunicate you. I see. All Right. But so I update my Facebook and, I, and it's just intrigued because people have been encouraged, Oh, why don't you tweet and why don't you do all these things? And I have it there and I kind of do sometimes. But it's interesting, every time you go to LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter, there's always that about me section, right? Where you're just describe who you are, right? Tell us about yourself. And it's funny to see how people describe themselves, whether it's political party or hobbies or race or age, how much money, where they're from, what drink at Starbucks they order, what team they root for, right? So I would be the middle-aged, vertically challenged, Tom Cruise looking like, conservative Mac using, homeschooling dad, brave hating, venti nonfat chai drinking, premillennial Calvinist who is a lover of my wife Sarah from Philly. That's that's about me, right? That's that's on my Facebook probably, right? But those things may be about me, but that is not who I am. That's not my identity, right? And what we've been looking at and we've entitled our series in Ephesians, Identity, is everybody is in one of two places, right? Everyone is either in Adam and, and Cain unpacked lat, what that looks like last week. If in Adam you are dead in your trespasses, you are separated from God, you have no ability in yourself to, to reach God, right? You are following the enemy of, this, of the prince of the power of the air, Satan. That's all those things of those who were in Adam. And all of us at one point were in Adam. But some of you may be still in Adam. But you are either in Adam or you in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you are chosen and you are adopted and you've been lavished with his love and you are forgiven of all your trespasses, And you are an heir and you are a son of God or a daughter of God. And that is where your identity rests. And the problem when it rests in other things, like what kind of drink you drink at Starbucks or what team you root for, is you will always gravitate to those people who are like you. So I will find the other venti nonfat chai drinkers, right? I will find all those who hate the Braves. I will find you. You've already emailed me, right? Because we gravitate those to which we are like, and that's fine. What it's not fine, but what inevitably happens, is when we find the people that we're like, is all the little isms start creeping in. And so I'm like the racism, and the classism. I'm from this place. I'm from this. The 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 you know uh, legalism. All these isms, elitism. We're better. Because your label that you've labeled yourself with is inevitably better than that. And there becomes hostility and animosity and tension between groups. And if you think I'm making it up, look at our nation right now. It is split like it probably hadn't been split in a long time. 50-50 on this group and this group. And everyone's wrong and everyone hates each other. And there is bitterness and anger. And that is expected. The problem is this, when it creeps into the church. And it has. When it creeps into the church, the church loses its prophetic voice to the culture. Because the, ch- the culture does not want hostility. The culture, for the most part, does not want tension. They want peace. Think about the songs they write. Right? What the world needs now. Come on, come on, Drew, sing it with me, man. Love, sweet love. Right? We write all these songs. like to teach the world to sing perfect harmony. What did John Lennon write? Imagine all the people. Living in peace. Right? We are family. I got all my sisters and me. See, the culture knows that. But they don't know how to do it. And the problem is, they look all these places and they think, oh, the church will know. And they look at the church and what's wrong? The church is doing the same thing the culture is. The same issues, the same racism, the same elitism, the same classisms are in the church. And so we have no Platform to speak to the culture. And that's the problem. But I'm going to show you a text today of how it's supposed to be. This is what it's supposed to look like. And look, I don't care what every other church in Savannah is doing. All right? This needs to be us. This is against the grain. This is not what you see for the most part in the culture, but this needs to be us. And if we're the only church in town and we're going to take the leading in it, then so be it. But this is what it needs to be like. Okay, we need to have a voice in the culture. And here's our voice. So we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. And once again, we're going to find out that it's, everything is rooted in our identity in Christ. And maybe you're here and it's your first time here. Or maybe you've been here and you're looking around and you're like, Man, this is a crazy church. And it is. So I'll tell you, I'll give it that. But we got old, we got young. We got black, we got white, we got red all over. We got college students, we got senior citizens. We got folks that are way up here socioeconomically. We got folks that are down here. And maybe you'd think that's, that's hard that's hard to break those barriers but well, what Paul's going to do right off the bat is he's going to remind them of hostility that we cannot fathom right We think oh we got 250 years of racism in our country that's nothing compared to what the early church was dealing with all right so let's look at look, let's look at their situation to start and then we'll jump in and explain it verse 11 therefore members therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you, at that time, were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of prominence, having no hope and without God in this world. Here's their situation. All right? Apparently, most of the people in their church are Gentile. Gentile being non-Jew. Okay? Non-Jewish people. And so he says, he goes off the bat, he says, Remember, at one time you Gentiles... In the flesh called the uncircumcision. What happens when we gravitate towards our own little groups with our own little labels is we always have little pet names for ourselves and we have pet names for the other side. And the other sides are always derogatory. And so it's that's the frozen chosen church down there, right? That's the organ church, right? That's the jeans church, all right? And it's typically a derogatory term. Like we have been called by churches in this town to some past, no, I'm the Grace Boys. We're the Grace Boys. I don't know what that means, I like it. Okay, Grace Boy is a good name. It's better than the, the crackhead church or something, you know. But you always have a derogatory term for the other side. In the early church, the Jews were calling the Gentiles the uncircumcision. So they show up on church, there's some uncircumcised over there. And the Gentiles were calling the Jews what? The circumcision. Right, That's the circumcision. And so there's this division already. And you say, well, what's the big deal? If you're new to church, you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't get it. If you've been in church for a while, you understand it. You understand the, the story of the Old Testament. But if you're new, here's, this is a 2000 year old battle. 2000 years earlier is a man named Abram. God chooses this pagan Abram. And he says, you're going to go to a promised land. I'm going to make you a blessing to everybody. I'm going to give you a land and I'm going to give you a seed, a, 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 a lineage. So he he believes God, he goes off, he makes a mistake. He gets two wives, which is one too many. All right. And so he has this one wife from Egypt, and he has this one wife that he's been married to. His wife from Egypt gives birth to a son, his name is Ishmael. He's the oldest. His wife, Sarah, gives birth to a son named Isaac. And God says, no, it's Isaac. This is my chosen child, Isaac. Not Ishmael, Isaac. The blessing is going to come through Isaac. The land is going to go to Isaac. Everything's going through Isaac. And the sign of that, for you your family from now on is on the eighth day. Every male will be circumcised. Every male. If it is a servant, you sacrifice a servant. Everybody that is in your group is circumcised on the eighth day. That is the sign that I will bless you. That is the sign of the covenant I am making with you, Abram, and your son, Isaac, and your son, Jacob, whose name eventually will be changed to Israel. Every Israelite eighth day male is circumcised. And if you're not, you're outside the group. And everyone who is not circumcised is the bad guy. Everybody is the bad guy. If you are circumcised Jew, you're good. If you are not, you are bad. And that is 2,000 years of tension. And if you're a Gentile, what does he say in verse 12? What is true of you? You were at that time separated from Christ. The Messiah. The word Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is his title. He is Jesus of Nazareth. But he is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. You were separated from the Messiah. There's no... I got a little Irish in me, a little English, a little Pennsylvania Dutch, a little Cherokee Indian... There's no promised Messiah for the Cherokees. The island of Ireland does not have a promised Messiah. Who did? The Jews. The Jews had the promised Messiah, right? That was the idea. So in that way, you didn't have a Messiah. You were, alien- you, you were separated from the Messiah. You were alienated, second thing, from these guys, from, alienated from, from the commonwealth. Uh, even if you lived in Jerusalem, you weren't one of them. Even if you were circumcised as a, as a Moabite or a Philistine, you weren't completely in. You were separated from the promise. There's all sorts of perks about being a Jew. Number one is that you got to go to temple. You're a Gentile. You're not going to temple. you got the law given to you, right? right? And so even if you were there, you weren't one of them. It's kind of like you go to Tybee. You, if you're not born on Tybee Island, you're not from Tybee. You can go to Tybee. You can pay their parking deal. But you are not from Tybee unless you were born there on the surfboard, all right? all right? That's the way it has to be. There's like only four people that are actually from Tybee, right? So you're not one of them. You're outside, even if you go there. That's the idea. You were alienated. You were strangers of the covenant, right? The, the promise is not for an island of Australia. The Eskimos had no hope that a Davidic king would reign and rule in Antarctica or, Arctic, or in Canada, whatever. No one, no one lives in Antarctica, just so you know. Alright? No one in Nicaragua was looking for 12 thrones in the city of Managua. All right. The promise was from and for the Jews. What does Jesus say in John four? Salvation is from the Jews. And you were without him. You were without hope. You were without God. You had your little bales. You had your little sun God. You had a little moon God. You were without God in this world. All right. And the Jews of the Old Testament, they knew it. And there was hostility and they looked down and they really believed, many of them, that God loved them and hated everyone else. In fact, some of the early Jewish teachers taught that the only reason they were Gentiles was to kindle the flames of hell. Because God loved Jews and he hated everyone else, which is not true. But that's what they believed. I mean, read the Old Testament too. Who are the bad guys? I mean, all of them are bad. Even David and Abraham, all the heroes are bad because they all mess up. But who are the really bad guys? Goliath? Delilah? Nebuchadnezzar, all Gentiles. And even the good Gentiles that actually do good things, like Rahab, always gets what? She gets a little tag at the end. Rahab the harlot. Right? Even in the New Testament, she's Rahab the harlot. Ruth the Moabitess. She's David's great-great-grandma. And she still gets the tag. And so there's this... Understand this huge animosity. And what happens? The early church happens. And all of a sudden you have this boom, mega church, three thousand people in Jerusalem. And it's fine. You know why? Because they're all Jewish. And everything's fine. But what happens pretty soon? All these crazy Gentiles start coming in. Or these Jews that are not like us in Acts chapter six, right off. I mean that church starts in Acts two, four chapters later in Acts six. You have the Greek-speaking Jews who they didn't they, don't, they can't speak Hebrew anymore. They're Hellenistic is what they're called. Their widows are getting ignored at the potluck. But the Jewish widows, they're getting fed. And they're ignoring them. Why? Because they can't speak Hebrew. But they're, they're even Jewish and they're ignoring them just because they can't speak Hebrew. And already animosity. By the time you get to chapter 15, there's a full blood revolt and the church and the apostles got to come together because all these guys over here saying, we want to eat shrimp cocktail. Shrimp cocktail is evil. We want them to get circumcised they're saying what are you talking about Willis all right and so there's this big debate and they come together why because this gentile hebrew hostility that's been going on for 2000 years even peter and barnabas two great men in the bible fall into this in galatians chapter 2 they're having a big old potluck in antioch and peter's in there eating shrimp cocktail and have a blast with all the gentiles and all of a sudden some folks come from jerusalem From James, the brother of Jesus, they sent a group up to Antioch and Peter and Barnabas are sitting there eating shrimp cocktail and having a blast. And these Jews come in and all of a sudden they get up from their table and they walk over to the Jew table. And Paul's got a mouthful of food and he's like, spits it out. And he stands up in the middle of this potluck and says, what are y'all doing? You are you are not walking in line with the gospel. He rebukes Peter right there in front of all these people. You got to love Paul and Barnabas, his buddy rebukes him. He says, you were just eating shrimp cocktail and now you're going to go over in lamb chops? That is not the gospel. That's the tension in this early church. All right? 2,000 years of it. You think 250 years of racism, 300 years of racism in America is a lot. Try 2,000 years of it. And now they're all together. And the Gentiles are coming in. They're asking all sorts of wacky questions. Haven't been at the temple of Dionysus. And hey, is it all right to marry my stepmom? And hey, can we go to the prostitute still? And they're asking all these questions and the Jews are like... We didn't have this in Jewish Sunday school class. We did. This was an issue. Now, all these Gentiles are here. And there's conflict and there's tension. And they don't like it. And Paul says it's okay. So, if you think, oh, we got people from over there and here, we got black, white, and we got rich and poor, you think we got issues? They got issues. But he reminds them how does he deal with it? What does he say? But now, circle those words in your Bible. But now, just like earlier in chapter 2, but God, but now, you who are far off, right? Those guys, you in Christ Jesus, you who were once far, you Gentiles, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, right? Who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create himself. And there's all this stuff going on here. And for the sake of time... Let me just, he, he, he hammers. But now you who are a Gentile, you were far. You didn't have promises. Now you've been brought near. How? By the Jewish Messiah. The, the Messiah that Israel rejected, that's your Messiah now. By the blood of Christ, he has brought you near because he is our peace. And notice the tense. It's present tense. He right now is our peace. There was, there's tension right now. No, no, no. There should be peace. Why? Because Jesus is our peace. Why? Because he made us both. And that's a past tense now. It's what we call an heiress tense. It's a completed event. He made us both one, two to one. This group over here says, no, well, you should be like us. This group over here says, no, no, you should be like us. He says, both wrong. I have taken two and I have made them one. And the closest example, great illustration, this is marriage. What happens in marriage? She doesn't become his family. He doesn't become her family. They become. They leave their their father and their mother. The two become one, and then they're a new family. Yes, there's, he's still, his last name's the same and hers changes, but they're a new, this is a new entity. He's supposed to leave daddy and mommy. She's supposed to leave daddy and mommy. The two become one new family. That's the idea here. Gentile Jew, one new thing in the church, right? And there is peace. And how did he do it? He says he broke down the, in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, there's this, this, this hostility between this group and this group over here, right? They go to the, they go to the, the picnic, and, and this group wants to eat lamb chops, and this group wants to eat hot dogs and shrimp, right? This group wants to celebrate Passover. This group's like, why are we doing that? This group wants to build booths out in the wilderness. It's like, you guys going to go camping. That's fine, but I ain't going camping right now. And so there's all these tensions. He says he brought peace. He, he broke down the wall of hostility. And here's what a lot of theologians think this is. This is pretty cool. This is a picture of, not the actual picture from Google or anything, but this is a rendering of the early temple, the temple that Jesus would have walked in. This area out here, I got the long laser on here. There we go. See that? This is called the court of the Gentiles. You're a Gentile. You can wander around in here all you want, play kickball, whatever you want to do. Right? Okay. But you cannot go through that little door. See, this is the court of Israel. And if you're not a Jew, you don't go in there. And there's a little sign outside. We've got one right here. This is an original. Okay, And the sign on it says, no, intruders, no intruder is allowed in the courtyard within the wall surrounding the temple. Whoever enters will invite death for himself. I.e., if you're a Gentile, do not go through that little door because you're a dead man. You are inviting death. Okay, And the funny, funny thing is this is Paul is in jail in Rome. You know why Paul is in jail in Rome? He was arrested because they thought he brought a guy in there. Okay, they accused him of bringing this guy Then whether he did or not, I don't know. But if I know Paul, I bet he did at night or something, snuck him in run around, you know, whatever. Whether he did or not, we don't know. But he was accused of bringing a Gentile in the court and that's why he's in jail. That's why he's waiting for trial in Rome at this point. Right. But what some theologians think is when he says he's broke down the wall of hostility. What he's talking about is he busted that wall right open. There is no wall that keeps Gentiles out now. There is no wall that keeps a separation, right? And why is it? Because he abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one new man. There's that one new again, two into one in place of the two and making peace. He abolished the law of commandments. This group wants to eat lamb chops. This group wants to eat hot dogs. This group thinks circumcision should happen. This group says, no way, Jose. Right? He takes the commandments of the Old Testament, all the ordinances, and he abolishes them. And that's not doesn't mean destroys them. The Greek word there, it's not, you can't even actually describe it with one word. The best closest word might be he nullified them. It's not that he says the Old Testament's not relevant. You don't follow the Ten Commandments anymore. What he's saying is all those ordinances, all those sacrifices, all those feasts, all those wave offerings, all those things, those things have been nullified. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled them all. So there's no real reason to celebrate the Passover because the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world has been sacrificed and He has risen. There's no more reason for the Day of Atonement because the atonement has been made. There's no more reason to go to an altar and, and sacrifice a bull because you yelled at your wife. Because Jesus was sacrificed once for all. And so He takes away those ordinances and He nullifies them. He says, look, I have busted the wall open. There should be peace in the the church, peace in my body, by my cross. And why should there be peace? Why is there peace? Because he reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross. Therefore, killing the hostility. He takes two and makes them one. And notice the way he phrases it there. You should circle that word both. Because he says the Jew and the Gentile both were reconciled. You weren't saved just because you were Jewish. Just because you were nearer to the promises did not make you a Christian. Didn't they make you a follower? Both Jew and Gentile both had to be reconciled to God. Now, one may have been nearer because he had the promises, but Jesus still had to die. Why? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone was dead in their trespasses and sins. So whether they were a Gentile living in Cyprus or they were Jew living in Jerusalem, they had to be reconciled to God. And God did so and then killed the hostility. He preached peace to those who were far, i.e. the Gentiles. He preached those who were near, i.e. the Jews. And through Jesus, through him... Both now have access. How does the Jew get to the Father? Through Jesus. How does the Gentile get to the Father? Through Jesus. Then why is there... why If I busted that wall, if the wall of sin that separated us from God was destroyed in Jesus' body on the cross, and the biggest barrier, us and God, was, was breached was reconciled, then why are you letting shrimp cocktail and lamb chops and circumcision divide my church if the huge wall of sin was separated? That is the argument. And the answer is, there's no reason. I killed it. I killed the hostility. I got rid of it. I don't want you building little walls of hostility back in your churches. I'll often go out, I'll throw something out in the trash can, and I'll go back in the house, and three minutes later, it's in the house again. I'm like, what happened? The kids sneak and they see me throwing something out that they want. And then they'll bring it back and they'll stash it. And I'll be like, this is trash. I wanted it in the trash, but I need that. No, you don't need it. Yeah, I do. I'm going to build something later. (laughs) It's always later. I'm going to build something. I'm going to do something with it. So we got pounds of trash under beds and under pillows and things because they're hiding it. But the idea is I threw it out. I wanted it gone. I want it done and gone and destroyed. Don't go get it. And what God is saying is, this, I destroyed hostility. I made Jew and Greek one in the church, one new man. It's something new now. And I don't want any hostility. I don't want any tension. I don't want you debating whether or not you should eat hot dogs. Right? And I abolished it in my son's death. That's the idea. And we say, oh, you know, it's easy for us to say, you know what? Well, I'm glad we don't have that Jew-Gentile thing going on in America. Whew. Isn't that great? We don't have, ra- I mean, racism in the church, it's not an issue. Not in, this, not in Savannah, right? Elitism, classism, you know, legalism, not an issue in the church, is it? It's the same thing, right? Why, why do churches split? Because people let their preferences become prejudices. Not, I talked to a guy two weeks ago. I was looking at his church building, and in his little sanctuary, and I saw oh, these are kind of com- comfy pews. They're older pews. Had little cushions on them. He said, Whew, "That almost split the church." I said what? He said putting those cushions on them things. I'm like, you are kidding me. People fighting over cushions on. Oh yeah, almost split the church back in like '82. We call it the summer of '82. Or you know, I mean, whatever. But see, that's what happens when people, when churches are democracies and people vote. Because we're going to get, oh, we like the pink nurseries. Oh, we like the blue nurseries. And we split it down. And we build walls of hostility that have no business doing it. And churches are the guiltiest of them all. Right? We're just asking for it. And it comes around. Maybe where we're at is the preference thing. Well, I like Chris Tomlin. I like Charles Wesley. I like a bow tie. I like sandals. Oh, right? That is the tension we see now. And look, it is easy as the church grows to start kind of go into a group and say, oh, you like this? Okay, we'll do this for you. We'll do, yeah, we got, a, we got a bunch of these, and so we're going to do this for them because we want them to be happy. And it's just, just conglomerate of interests, and we cater to preferences. And so we'll put people together of the same age and demographic and blah, blah, blah. And there's nothing wrong. We do small groups by demographic, by, uh, not by demographic, but by location so that you don't have to drive 80 hours. But when you start catering to interest, what happens? You know, churches, oh, you got an issue with greed? we got a small group for that. Here's a greed. This is the greed small group. Welcome, everyone. And you got, oh, you're an angry person. we got an angry small group. There you are over there. right? And, and oh, just don't get in the envy one or the lust one because we want to make sure you're in the right place. Right? And we get mad because I need a greed small group, and they don't have one, but they have an envy one. I mean, and we just, because it's about us. And churches just cater to these things. Look, like, it's okay to have preferences and it's okay to, to enjoy a way that these people do life more than these people. But what is not okay in the church of Jesus where he broke down the hostility is to see external things and let those divide us. Well, they're an old person, so I'm not going to go over there. They're a young person. They scare me. I'm not going over there. They're from this side of the track. I'm not going there. They're from this side. They smell like smoke. I'm not going to go sit next to them. Right? And we judge by externals. You know, they may smell like smoke, but you eat at Mickey D's way too much and it's the same sin, so don't think it's not. Right? How you like them apples, right? <laughs> but see, that's what happens when we judge based on externals. When you look at the outside, when we look on preferences, when we show, when we show primary, oh, this guy gives a little bit more. I'm going to let him sit right here. You're a college kid. You go to the window because I know you don't give. This is why I know nothing about who gives and I don't care. Because no one will ever be able to accuse me or any of the pastoral staff. Oh, you only count them because you know that they give and how much they give. No, we don't. No, we don't. That way we can be not partial. Because James says that partiality is evil. Right? It is not okay to not love the entire body well. There is no front of the bus, back of the bus. All right, you have preferences, fine. But it's not right for you to say that your preferences are better than theirs. They're different, yes, but they are not better because God loves all his children, black, white, and red all over, rich, poor, tall, short, even the Braves fans. He loves them all equally, all of them. He gives them all access to the Spirit and to the Father. And so when we show preference, we are not loving the body well. When we put up walls of hostility, we are not loving the family well. Jesus did not spill his blood so that you could build up little walls based on your little idols. And that's all it is. It's idolatry and self-worship because you think that your ways are better than their ways. It's just self-worship. It's not Christ-worship. And let me tell you, I haven't been in pastoral ministry that long, but I can tell you this. I've seen people who go from church to church and cause trust and destruction everywhere they go. And when I see a person that does that, when these horizontal relationships are wrong, I can tell you, my gut tells me that this person's not even regenerate. They're not even born again. Because there is no way that you can understand Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 and have this relationship with God reconciled where you were dead and he made you alive, where you were saved by grace and you did nothing but believe. There's no way you understand that. And this is all chaos all the time. There's no way. Because this relationship with God, the vertical, has to impact the horizontal. Otherwise, this one's not right. And that's why we start there. You start with you were dead and now you are alive. And because you are alive and because you are reconciled to God, now you are reconciled to man. And that's the solution. I mean, that's the solution is that we as a body are defined by what Christ has done, by the gospel. H- how do we reconcile the differences? The gospel. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for them. Just as much. Any questions? Great. Now your brothers and sisters get along. You're going to spend a long time with each other. And I'm not talking about Outside of orthodoxy, I'm not talking about those who say salvation is not by grace through faith. I'm not talking about those deny, deny scripture and say all, all roads lead to heaven. I'm talking about in the body, those second and third tier issues, they sprinkle, we pour, we immerse. He's a four-pointer, I'm a five-pointer, I'm a ten-pointer, whatever. Those are the issues I'm talking about. He's pre-mill, I'm, po- I'm post-mill, i whatever. Those are the issues that the church will fight and preference and split church. I like green chairs, they like pews, we're splitting a church. That's the stuff I'm talking about, and that's what the world sees. And that's why we have no prophetic voice. The gospel says Jesus gave up his rights to heaven to be a servant. Now you serve. And if you like Chris Tomlin over Charles Wesley, that's phenomenal. That's why God created the MP3. In the body, you give up your preferences for what he says. That's the way we live our lives. And we cross barriers. This is why I constantly say, go find someone you don't know. Go find someone's different than you. Older folks, don't be scared of the younger folks. They don't know anything anyway, but they need you. Younger folks, don't be scared of the old folks. You think they're a bunch of, you know, they're just not hip. They drive a 37-foot car and they don't know what's going on. They were hip at one point. And we need each other. We just need each other. We are a body. We are a body. And so he closes with this. How much time I got? I'm good. Here's your application, so he says. He says, so then. And that's, that's his way of saying, okay, here's the point, y'all. All right, here's the so then, here's the so what. Here's what I'm getting at. You've been reconciled, there should be no hostility. There should be oneness in the body, all right? Here's what I want, is what he's saying in essence. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What an amazing statement. I wish I could just preach on that for a long time. Think about that statement. Everyone from Adam to Billy Graham, John Wycliffe, John Calvin, The apostle Peter, Nebuchadnezzar, who ended up repenting, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, Paul. You are fellow citizens with them. You're one with them. You are members with them. Think about that. You read about Noah and you read about Jonah and you read about these guys and Elijah. I mean, that's your homeboy. You're one with all those members of the household of God. It's an amazing statement, and and he goes in and he says, so that you are no longer aliens and strangers, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in Him you also are built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. And he, and he uses this illustration. You catch it, this house construction building project that's going on. And he's saying, you are part of the building project. You are now the place where God dwells. And the old Testament, you want to go where God dwells. You got to walk up the hill. You got to be a Jew. You got to go to Jerusalem. You got to wash yourself up, get yourself cleaned up, bring yourself a cow, a sheep, a bird, a something. And you go into the temple and you offer it. But even then you can only get so far. You can't go into the holy place, and inside that holy place, there's the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant is. You can't even get close to that. There's a wall of hostility, there's a curtain, and there's doors, and you can't go into the presence of God because you will die. But what does Jesus do by this cross? He rips, the, he rips that Holy of Holies open. He says, Now there is no more Holy of Holies, this one little central place. Now you, my people, are my Holy of Holies. You are the presence of God, you are the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's how he closes it. He comes and breaks the barrier. And now Jew and Gentile are my church, my body. There's oneness. You are fellow citizens. You are not an alien. You are not a stranger. And he says two big picture things about this building project that's going on. And it's essential for us to grasp these. Because if we don't, we'll never be the community. we will never be a representation of God. Think about it. If God was represented in his temple... And if we are now the temple, then CBC and IPC and, and Cornerstone and, and Southside, these are representations of Jesus Christ in Savannah. That's what we are. And there's two essential things he says that this should be true of these churches. Number one is that they are built on the foundation of God's word. Again, look at verse 20. He says, this church, these members, this household is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. Remember, the cornerstone is that first big, huge rock that is placed. And it had to be perfect. It had to have all the perfect angles. And it, had to, it bears the weight of the entire structure. If that one's wrong, the entire thing's wrong. It says, Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the foundation stone. He's the first one laid. But then on top of that, what? The foundation of the apostles and prophets building upon Christ. What is he talking about there? What is that foundation? You're holding it in your hand. What the apostles said about who Jesus was and what he, what he did, the, the prophets of the New Testament, what Jesus did, this is the foundation that is built upon Christ. Right. The church is to be built on that. It is not to be built on the latest technique for gathering people. Oh, there's a good business model. Let's follow what Google does and bring it in here. It works for Google. We don't need a new foundation. We have one laid. This is the sure one. And God is not asking for us to create a new innovative way to build His church. He has given the way that has lasted for 2,000 years. Thank you very much. And He will continue to build on the Scripture. That doesn't mean we're not creative and have different ways of reaching out. But the church is built on the Word. It's not built on anything else. It's not built on sentimentality. Oh, we've been here forever. We're built on our familiarity with one another. Well, that's nice. We've been looking at each other for 60 years. Isn't that great? It's not built on that. It's built on the word of God. And there won't be unity and you won't be a reflection of who he is unless you are following what God's word has said. A group of people committed to this is what Jesus says. I'm going to do it. It's, it's radical. That's the foundation. But the second thing is this, and this is where we land, is that it's built on a commitment to build, build together. It's built in a community. The church in America has been built around a gas station mentality. I go out and live my life and I'm driving the highways for Jesus. And then when I run empty, I pull into the church and recharge. We're like Christian Priuses or something. I don't know. And then I go back out and I'm, until I run out and empty and I come back to church. And isn't that sound so spiritual? It is not the, the model that is set out here. I mean, what does he say? He says the whole structure is joined what? Together. It grows into a holy temple together. In him you're being built together. The building takes place together in relationships, in community, in depth. Not just filling up on Sunday morning in an hour and 15. That's not the idea for you to come in here, pay $50 a gallon of gas, and then, you know, tithe on the way out. We'll put a little credit card machine, you know. It's about community. It's about building. And as we grow bigger, some of you are going to have to be a little bit more diligent because it's easy for you to sneak in and out. And I'm not asking you to serve in the nursery every week, but there's a need for you to grow in community. It is not about you and Jesus and your King James Bible. We don't, we're not, our goal is not to build the biggest group of people and gathering in Savannah, Georgia. That is not our goal. Our goal is to build a group of people that are committed in their daily lives to following Jesus Christ. And that takes more than just gathering on Sunday morning for an hour. And I'm not saying you have to be involved more, but you have to be engaged with other Christians who are coming alongside, who are smacking you upside your head sometimes, who are encouraging you, who are asking you the tough questions, who are giving you some accountability. Not just how's your day. It's great. What was your quiet time about? Jesus. Some of your small groups need to get below that surface level of everything's great. It's not great and everything is messy. That's why we need a savior. All right. That's the point. And there's never going to be a true building of community until some of us get below that surfacey issue. And it's okay. We're, allow, we're inviting you to do it. We're not going to judge you for admitting that you have struggles. We're going to come alongside and by the Spirit encourage you. But how are you going to grow? How are you going to break your addiction to porn, y'all, if you don't ever tell anybody? How are you going to talk about the pain because your dad left you or whatever, unless you admit that you're bitter and jealous instead of just hiding it? It's not going to happen. Right? That's what the community is here for. And look, if you're like, I just need to get into the community. Look, we're starting new small groups all the time. We're trying to. But we have existing ones. And if they say they're full, then tell them to talk to me. We'll throw you in there until we get a new one. Because we want people in community. And fill out the new contact card and say, I'm in pool or I need a small group. And if you're a small group leader, you're going to have to model this. It's not easy. But you're going to have to model authenticity. You're going to show, you're gonna have to show up and say, you know what? Me and my wife got a fight before the sermon. And that's what happens sometimes. But it's okay. Right? You're going to have to break through that, that that surfacey stuff, some of us. Some of you are just going to have to start getting plugged in in just a, a simple way, maybe serving somewhere. Starting to get to know people. I know some of you are so filled up in your life and you can't do anything else. That's great. But, you know, in your marriage, some accountability. <laughs> Talking about spiritual things and not just where who's taking the kids where together, body. I don't, I don't want to be the next megachurch. We're not going to be, Lord willing. I want to be a group of people in Savannah living their lives at SCAD, at Gulfstream, at your school, on Main Street, that are living their lives for Jesus, that are walking with in community with other people so that we glorify Jesus and make his name great. And that gives a lost culture and a world where people are all divided some hope. When they see a group of people like us That are all over the map. We got bow ties and we got sandals. We got scullies and we got comb overs. (laughs) Right? We got landings. We got 37th street. But we're all level at the cross. And when they see us loving one another, it gives them a new paradigm, y'all. And it'll rock their world. And it gives us a privilege to say, you know what? You know why we love them? Because I was a wretch and Jesus loved me. And he died for my sins. And he broke the wall of hostility between me and the father. And now I don't have no hostility. I don't have any. See, that's what we're called to be. That's against the grain. That's what CBC needs to be. Let's pray and let's worship. Father, I pray that this would be true of us. Challenging maybe for some of us, maybe easy for some of us, I don't know. But Lord, whatever it is, may there be peace in your church, in this church. And when we model that as a body. Father, for the person here that does not know for sure that if they were to die today, their sins are forgiven. I pray that your spirit would open their eyes and they would see their need to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. That they would embrace Jesus as their Savior and Lord and understand his his gift of eternal life through faith. Make us one, Father, as you are one. Make us one. For Christ's name's sake, I pray. We're going to celebrate the table again this week just because it's such a fitting thing for us to do when we talk about oneness. We're not going to have you get up because it was chaos last week, so we can't do that anymore until we get a new building. (laughs) But for now, the men are going to come, hold that bread and that cup, and I'll come back up in a few minutes and lead us together as a body. But as these guys sing and as they worship um, and as they lead, you can sing along with them, but listen to the words and be encouraged by the words and maybe sing along with them um, and search your heart and just see, hey, Maybe I need to, maybe I need to go to that person because I don't have exactly peace with them right now, and that's fine. This is the time to do that. And so, so let's worship. Let's search our hearts, and then we'll take the table together. Amen, come forward.